Welcome to the next episode on international careers. For this episode, we have with us Prashita Sare, who is a legal consultant with the World Bank in the United States. She completed a five-year course from ILS in 2016. While in college, she also completed a CS course and worked as a legal trainee with Bajaj Finance after her seventh semester. Thereafter, she did her LLM from the New York University. I hope you enjoy this interview and find it insightful. Um, hello, Prachi. Uh, thank you for being here uh, for doing this interview with us. Um, I am Devangi, and this is Kaushik, and the both of us would be doing this interview. So, uh, I wanted to start with asking you, um, why did you choose to study law? Um, the very honest answer is that I did not like engineering. I I studied and prepared for a lot of the engineering exams, and uh, I understand this reflects very. Uh, it, it's there wasn't a lot of uh, initially that went into studying law. Um, I prepared for a number of engineering exams. Um, I even had admissions in a couple of places. But as I was studying, I realized that it's not really what I want to do. Um, and, you know, there's the we we come with the expectation in India that if you are very good at science um, in standard ten, standard eleven, or something, it's it's the expectation that you go do science or uh, you do engineering or you become a doctor. Um, so so I came with that that background, um, but those physics, chemistry, they were subjects I realized I was pretty bad at, um, and if I had to study them for four more years. in any capacity i don't think i was going to do very well um on the other hand i always really like english history and and those were subjects i was better at um with minimum effort um and the idea of studying a five year course that allows me to go into these subjects in detail and then study law something that i was still coming to terms with um as in law as in what does law involve studying i was not so sure but i i like the uh, after talking to a couple of friends who were in law schools uh and who were doing this it 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 seemed like a good career option something that i would be really good at uh or at least not terrible at right as opposed to engineering where i was where i was absolutely sure i was going to be very terrible um and and so i thought well well and and that's also some of our uh some of our just getting rid of that past baggage right with uh, engineering and medicine and it's like let's let's try this and mm-hmm. so um it was too late to give the clat actually when i decided this um and so i i only applied to colleges in maharashtra uh, that were accepting you know your 12 board results at that time right um there was no separate uh, entrance exam for uh, the maharashtra uh, law schools um and so i ended up doing law and it turns out i really liked it i absolutely loved the courses um the, whatever we were studying and and it turns out it was a good decision in the end <laughs> i think a lot of students would relate to that um so then how, how did you end up choosing the C, uh, opting for the cs course and why did you do it Uh, again i i came from a background where i had spoken to a few students um, many of them were doing uh, the cs course it was supposed to be something that complements um, 
your legal studies right right the, there were not there wasn't a lot of information about the avenues uh, the, the typical image and I, and i know a few of my family members were concerned like you're going to do vakili like going to court <laughs> and that scared them um because i i don't come from a family of lawyers uh, there's hardly there's no lawyers in my family they a uh, lot of my family was concerned what law involves and then uh, a number of students at that time were doing cs and it seemed like a safer option it, it meant corporate law it meant working in house or doing regulatory stuff and it was it was considered a safe option so i started out with that notion that it would complement the law course but also because i was initially very interested in corporate law um so that's where i started studying it and it did offer a good background um it it does go into depths of corporate corporations law in india banking insolvency uh, so it offers a solid foundation so i'm, I'm glad i did that but there wasn't uh, it it wasn't uh, the motivations for that have changed since so i ended up doing it because i didn't know a lot about the options that law school offered and it seemed good to get started on this course um, that would offer me a career in corporate law in the near future um but yes so that's how it started right um you were also the founding member of the center for international law so what was your vision for it when you started it i think that was one of the best parts of uh, ils when we were getting together to form the center for international law and the vision wasn't very grand it was just to offer a space uh, where we could come together and talk about international international law was something i really became interested in public international law specifically in ils um and 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 really and we realized at that time that although we had all of these moots that we go to and all of these competitions we take part in we don't have a avenue where we can discuss it <clears throat> or have conferences or you know go into the details of it um, offer students a space for publications um and all of that so the intention was to create a space uh, more or less right um, and then we had some conferences and so that went pretty well uh, because it offered a space and we found out that we had a lot of alumni working in the field and even even in pune there were so many people that we could uh, tap into their expertise for for this subject right talking more about your life at uh, ils uh, you what what do you what kind of moot court and adr competitions did you participate in while you were in law school so the moot courts i did were mostly public international law um, a bit of trade law mm-hmm. um, and the usual practice moot court and and pil um, those were those were exciting times um Uh, but mostly most of the moot court competitions that took part in were public international law related uh, to some extent um adr competitions i don't think so I, that wasn't a field that ex- got exposed to um, or was interested in at the time um, so i i didn't participate in any of those uh, but surely the public international law moot court competitions they were very interesting All right, that's wonderful. Now, how did you approach writing research papers while at college? 
You participated in the third Hague Peace Conference at Hague. How did that happen and how was the experience? Uh, so the moot courts actually led to uh, thinking about writing research papers because, you know, when you work on a moot, uh, you deal with one substantive area of law. And uh, I've spoken to a few seniors at the time and this was their advice was that because you're dealing with such a, an issue that goes into such great detail, uh, you should always think about converting that into a research paper at the end of the core competition. Because what you do is you tap into what you learned and you write it as, as uh, answering a research question that's out there. So that's how it started. Um, the third hate peace conference, I, I don't remember, but I remember there were a few seniors who had written something and uh, they encouraged me to just think about it and write it. It was, a, um, it was a short paper that we were supposed to write and submit for this competition. And it wasn't strictly international law. It was international law and international relations. Um, and at that time, I remember we were, I was working with someone on, on the issue of uh, cyber security um, and international law, or, or maybe that was one of the themes of the moot court competition. Uh, and so we had researched pretty much in detail about um, what is the status of mercenaries under international humanitarian law or something like that. So I decided to write a paper uh, on that and that got selected at this peace conference. So I, I had the opportunity to go and present. Um, again, it wouldn't have been possible if it wouldn't have I wouldn't have had been in contact with people who offered these resources and uh, I was privileged enough uh, that my parents paid for the trip um, so so there is that but uh, so that's how that happened uh, but it was it was very interesting because it came out of not letting the moot experience end at the at the end of the moot court competition um, so stick on with it and, and see if you can answer some question that's that's out of the field that not a lot of people are looking at. Probably such paper that helps a lot of people. And I, I know students are doing that. Uh, I recently, last year when I was, when COVID was just starting out, I saw a research paper from a student on force majeure contracts and uh, coronavirus. And that was something I actually needed to read for work. Um, and it was wonderful because I was so happy that students in India were dealing with such issues. Now from your second year, you worked as a legal advisor with an automated website that is featured among world's top 10 blogs. It is autospace.co. How did that happen? Top 100 at that time. Uh, top so that was, yeah. <laughs> we, we wish it was top 10. <laughs> so, so it was a group of friends, um, engineering friends who had started this website um, and they were writing about automotive engineering, racing uh, and lots of other interesting stuff that was happening in the world of um, automobiles. Um, and like me, they were a bunch of students um, and who were doing this for the first time. And the, the blog picked up very well and they were seeing interest from advertisers and um, people who wanted to market on their website and people who were who they wanted to enter into contracts with. So they asked me if I could help them with the legal stuff. 
Um, and that's how I got involved with the project. It was literally a group of students trying to figure everything out. They were trying to figure out everything on the um, the blog and the advertising front. And I was trying to help them write the terms of service, the privacy contracts, any contracts they wanted to enter into um, um, with partners. So that's um, how I got involved. And it was pretty interesting because um, we were figuring out things as we go. Okay, that's very interesting. Now, you worked as a legal trainee at Bajaj Finance after your seventh semester. How did that happen? Did you wish to be an in-house lawyer then? Um, so that came about after the I finished the CS course, um, the company secretary course. And um, I don't know what the recent requirements are, but uh, when I was finishing it, you needed to do an 18 uh, articles, uh, articleship with... Uh, a company or a company secretary firm. Um, so I had interned with Bajaj Finance over the summer before that. Um, and so I went back to them and I asked them if I can come in and do um, this articleship with them. And uh, they were just revamping their legal team and everything. So they were more than happy to do that. So I worked with the legal team over there, but I also worked on the regulatory parts, compliance, um, basically a rotation within the different parts of the legal team. Um, mm-hmm. And that was extremely interesting. I was not sure I wanted to do, uh, I wanted to go in-house right then because the trend for in-house lawyers um, was that you worked at a law firm for a few years and then you moved in-house. Um, but it was definitely a very good experience. When did you think of doing an LLM and what motivated you to do it? Which areas of law did you want to specialize in then? Um, so I think uh, it, it came about due to two things. I was already working at Bajaj Finance where I was learning a lot about how uh, finance works and corporate law, how it interacts with finance and litigation. Um, and I had just come back from the, the third uh, these conference uh, where I was uh, looking into public international law. Um, and what I realized at the end of it is that while the five-year PALLB course is very good and it's very comprehensive, but mm-hmm. it doesn't really make you specialize in anything. We don't really specialize in one area of law. Um, and what I wanted to do after that was I wanted to go out, study more, um, and specialize in international law, finance law, you know, securities that I was already working with. Um, in in a way where I could just focus on these two areas of law that I have been working with and and figure out you know what else there is uh, to it uh, because while I wanted to do that in law school it's it's not always possible when you're studying everything else and it's it's not fair to ask of the five year law course as well because there is just so much background you need to cover in law so that's mm-hmm. when I wanted to I. I I didn't think five years of legal education was enough at that point. So I wanted to spend an extra year um, and specialize in international law and finance. Um, those were the areas that I wanted to specialize in when I started thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, as, as I started focusing more on it, I wanted to study um, finance uh, and technology in the context of international law. So okay. that is where I went. Uh, for. Okay, that's very interesting. 
Now, what all countries and universities did you consider for your LLM application? What would your advice be to prospective LLM candidates on choosing universities? Hmm, that's that's a very good question. I think this is this is where the personal comes in, right? Uh, it's mm-hmm. it's more about where do you feel more familiar with which education system do you think uh, will serve you best, um, and of course the costs, right? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. For me, I was looking at both the the UK and the US initially, but then as I was talking to students from who had done LLMs um, in both countries, I realized that the the LLM in the US is more hands on and practical, uh, whereas in the UK it's very theoretical, um, or at least that was my understanding after speaking to uh, many students. Um, it it may be that I am completely wrong, um, but that's what helped me choose the U.S. because I I thought it is it is more exposed. Um, it it will help me learn the practical application along with the theory. Um, also, um, based on my initial conversations with people, uh, I realized that U.K. requires you to be to show a very strong academic grounding. Now that mm-hmm. was not something I uh, thought I had um, because I, I I was squarely in the first class, like 61 percent, but I never went above that. Um, okay. At ILS. So mm-hmm. I, I thought the, the U.S. applications, you know, they're they're fairly more rounded. They ask you to show what you have done in addition to academics, and mm-hmm. I felt that was something that suited me more. Um, also, I was working with a number of senior colleagues at Bajaj who had done their LLM from the U.S. Uh, so that helped uh, make that choice. So for me, it was the U.S., but it was it will be different for everybody depending on what you're looking for in the course. So for students who are choosing now or looking at universities, look at the individual universities. Does the course look like something you want to do? Do the professors match what you're looking for and and what are the universities looking for as well okay that's very interesting now how much weightage do foreign universities give to your undergraduate exam scores your advocacy skills competitions publications and your prior work experience uh, so for the us i don't know about the other countries uh, so i can okay. only speak closely about the US system because I, I did not end up applying to any other universities outside the US. Um, uh, the, for the US, what they do is they have the service LSAT. Um, I think you uh, okay. have that. Uh, but there is a service that converts your Indian's uh, academic score into mm-hmm. an equivalent scale. Um, so so that's what the US universities look at. And what my experience has been is that if as long as you're the higher second uh, class or first class, that converts to like a superior, um, which is one of the highest scales, uh, grades mm-hmm. on the, the US scale. So, uh, but the US schools also place a lot of importance on everything else you have done, especially work experience. Okay. Um, so, and it is each university will have a question or questions for you to answer. And you have to make the case why um, this program is good for you. 
and what do you expect to learn out of the program and what you will do with it in the short term and the long term. So it's about building a story um, and being clear in your head about it as well. Mm-hmm. So at every stage, they will ask you, why do you want to be here? What do you expect out of it? And why should we select you? So that is the, the answer they're looking for. Uh, it's it's a, for U.S. universities especially. It's a mix of everything. You have to show you're a well-rounded legal uh, candidate. Who you have to make the case why you have to study at this particular university. So it's it's not a set formula, and it will depend on every year uh, what the universities themselves are looking for. But as long as I think you can make the case that you're a well-rounded. Um, lawyer, I think that's what the U.S. universities are looking for. Okay, I've heard that a lot of U.S. universities ask for a one-page resume with your application. Now, a one-page resume seems too short by Indian standards. What all should go into it? Uh, and that's that's some advice I give Indian students all the time because when I was applying, that seemed uh, I was in the same boat. I was like, one page it hardly covers anything. Uh, but you know, as as I have been working in this area, it's mm-hmm. one page. It's more than enough. Um, and the the answer to what it, it should include is that it should include your your name and personal details, very little, your education, mm-hmm. your most relevant experience. We don't want. Uh, we don't look for all your experience. So, for example, if you're applying to a university and you're saying that what you want to go and do there is technology law, then you don't need to state everything that you have done, like um, filing IPR applications, right? You can just mention that somewhere else. But what your resume should include is the relevant experience, which is technology related. So a one-page resume is actually a way of showing that you read what someone is looking for. And the same applies to, to jobs, right? In the, in the US and almost in all international organizations that I work with now, we require a one-page resume. And it means that you have read the terms of reference that the company or the organization is looking for. And you have tailored your resume to that position. It's, it's about showing that you have read, understood, and are applying for this very specific position um, and why you are a good candidate for that uh, position. So it's it's not about showing everything you work. The other rule of thumb is that if you're submitting both a resume and a personal statement at the same time, mm-hmm. then your resume should only tell me something that is not there in your personal statement. Um, mm-hmm. This is something that I don't think we know a lot about in India. Um, I, res- I, I remember my resume when I was uh, in my fourth year was three pages long. And looking back, that just terrifies me because <laughs> had I submitted that uh, resume anywhere outside India, that is a complete no-no. Uh, but I understand that it, it feels daunting, right? How do you compress right now if you have a three-page resume? How do you compress it to one page uh, when you don't know what that one page should include. So like I said, it should include um, your education, uh, your bar memberships, if you have any, 
mm-hmm. or any other professional memberships like the the company secretary or something and the most relevant experience and in the last la- one third you can add any key publications or something now if you have some more information that you want employers or universities to look at have a second page as an addendum and is your research and publications um and that to like one bullet point each so uh, you can use that as a supplement but your first your main page of your resume should only have your education professional experience and a one line about hobbies or um uh, research publications that are essential for that position or that uh admission application and this just to add on that if if students are looking for how these resumes should look at just google nyu llm jobs handbook or harvard llm jobs handbook you'll come across hundreds of pdfs from all of the leading american universities and these are books or uh handbooks that have resume templates uh from these particular universities so feel free to just like take a look through how what they expect um these are resumes that we prepare at the end of the when applying for jobs after the llm but there's no harm in looking because that's exactly what they're looking for so and all of these resources are free so just google any of the big universities llm jobs handbook or something and you'll come across hundreds of books with uh, reference resumes that are one page okay that's very helpful now what all scholarships are available for an llm in corporate laws abroad so most us universities have their own internal scholarships um nyu has a dean scholarship a hauser scholarship um i don't know if they're specific to corporate laws because usually uh these these scholarships are merit based uh, scholarships that are applicable you can use it across any uh, any specialization uh so i don't know if there are any specific to corporate laws but every university will have a number of scholarships um in the in the us also if if you get selected um uh you can always ask uh if there are any scholarships available uh, the university will tell you that yes or but or sorry no all of the scholarships are taken apart from that there are a number of indian foundations um, that offer scholarships like there's the inlax scholarship uh, there's the aga khan foundation uh, which has a good scholarship so look at a lot of these there are lots of other avenues also Uh, for scholarships okay do these scholarships cover the full tuition cost and some stipend as well uh some scholarships do others don't uh, so there are some scholarships that only cover the tuition but you still have to take care of the the living uh expenses um, and all of that others like the house of scholarship in for nyu that covers everything uh so it's it's uh, it it takes a lot of research because it's mm. it's not hard to find it's 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 it sorry it is quite hard to find uh, and pull these scholarships and make sure you apply on time for them uh, apart from the university scholarships you are considered when you apply but uh, the other ones you have to apply separately 
so okay. it, it's about in addition to applying to the university you have to time to make sure you are applying for the scholarships also on time yeah okay what kind of costs are we looking at if one wants to do an llm from a us university especially an ivy league one so i think it's anywhere is between 50000 us dollars to 65000 us dollars now okay um, the tuition cost also increases year after year mm-hmm. um, so that's something to factor in so someone who went like me who studied four years back in the us the costs would already have increased also the number yeah. of scholarships change every year some years there's a more chance that you'll get a scholarship some years there is a less so any anywhere between 50000 to 65000 us dollars um is is what you will end up spending and and that's a huge amount so like mm-hmm. i said when you choose where you want to do an llm uh, which country that is also a cost that factors in because other countries have more um more flexible opportunities sometimes like the eu uh, and, and uh, colleges in germany for example it's the cost is very uh, comparatively quite less so that is also something that factors in in the decision now while at nyu you also cross registered with the stone school of business how was your experience studying at both these places and how was it different from ils um it was very different from ils uh, both mm-hmm. these schools um one thing i i uh, and it's not a criticism of ils particularly but just of uh, something that relates to indian law schools is that we learn how to we learn the law and the law by itself um, unless we participate in moot court competitions or unless we do writing uh, we are not really exposed to the application of law um, mm-hmm. there were some very interesting classes i took at ils that did this to some extent but it's it's not true for all classes like my classes on criminal law on evidence all of these were so interesting in ils that i learned um, and the professors made sure that they incorporated practical aspects uh, but mm-hmm. that was not the norm the norm was that you learn the act you learn the rules um you learn um what comes how often um in the university exams and you study for it mm-hmm. uh, nyu was more different obviously because it involved applications of law um, they taught us the law but the questions in the exams were about how do you apply it a lot of the courses i took at nyu involved a term paper where my grade was not about an exam but it was about what i wrote um mm-hmm. one of the courses that i took on complex negotiations um uh, my final grade was 50% from the exam and 50% from how i did at negotiations with uh, other classmates and actual law firm lawyers so oh. you know it was all about applic- ap- applying what you learned in the classroom to what you would probably face outside so that's hmm. one part of the law school was poles different from ils 
the the stern business school classes that i took they were extremely interesting because uh, first i obviously got to work with business school students and uh, we had to do projects together um, and it just was so different uh, to interact with students who come at life from a completely different approach than you um, and working on so my first course that i registered with stern was on capital markets and it helped me understand capital markets from a markets perspective uh, a business perspective and the other course that i did was on digital currencies where uh, again it was just so different uh, to learn about how different people think about digital currencies and how do you merge business and regulation um, and laws uh, with this really fast moving field um mm-hmm. the best part about the stern school classes was that while we had two dedicated uh, we had the dedicated professors a lot of classes were by guest lecturers so we had people from um, you know leading crypto um, exchanges uh, come and speak to us our take classes wow and that's true other nyu classes as well we had former um commissioners of the security exchange commission or something teaching us and i, I and i recognize this is this is a privilege not all of us can have or a privilege not all of the universities can also have but that is that is the the difference between what expanded resources can do is that a university with resources is as large as nyu can have classes uh-huh. uh, and they can teach their students to not just understand the law but apply it in a very practical manner um, so that was what was most different um, also apart from just uh, the law school has students from all over the world um, like i and that's where it's similar to ils ils was the first time i was exposed to people um not from the same background same category as me so that's where all of them have the same that in that they offer a very diverse experience now you also cleared the new york bar examination what is the importance of clearing bar examinations abroad um if you plan to work in the us or if you plan if you if you do your LLM in the uk and you plan to work in the uk for example mm-hmm. um i think it's very important to have the bar registration because it is super specific uh to each country so uh when i was doing the llm um one of my short term goals at the time was to work in the us for a few years preferably in new york and mm-hmm. if you want to work as a lawyer in new york you need the new york bar um apart from that uh, a number of international organizations also ask that you be qualified to register um either in your home country or in one of these main jurisdictions and i think in that way the new york bar is very good because it is kind of a standard uh, wherever if you want to work in the um internationally is that it's it's recognized as a standard so that was one of the reasons for giving me your bar um it it was not easy by any means uh, i i used to think 
um that nyu was the hardest ac- academic uh, challenge i'd had and then i graduated from nyu and went to studying for the bar and then i was like it was never even close at nyu because the bar is <laughs> bar it's just so it for me personally it was just so difficult um and uh, the the passing rates are really low um and you have to study everything from us constitutional law to criminal law to evidence law um and it's it's also physically toiling it's in the middle of Ju- july um and it is 6 hours on the first day and 6 hours on the second day so you're writing an exam for 12 hours um, god for two days so it it's not easy by any means and it requires a lot of preparation but it prepares you well um and it's super useful if you want to work outside of your home country jurisdiction okay are there any extra costs associated with taking the bar examination there are there are these uh, uh kaplan and there are these course packs um uh, bar they are called bar prep courses um mm-hmm. so you do them after graduating from law school um and you study you you log in online uh, some of them are in person classes and you you uh, take these courses every day um they have practice exams and everything um it's like a gmat prep course or something you know those mba preparatory courses um like those but focused on the the new york bar or the california bar or any of the bar exams in the us um but i think if if you're planning on doing an llm with an intention to work abroad then i think the it's it's important to give the bar but also like if you're not planning on working at a law firm or anywhere that requires the bar then probably it's not if you want to work research or policy in those areas and don't require the bar exam then of course it's it's not needed so you had a very hectic schedule studying how did you manage your time and how did you recreate um the first semester at nyu was quite hard because i was still learning how to juggle all of these things mm-hmm. um i i took the full course load uh, for both the semesters i think which is basically that taking the maximum number of credits that you are allowed to take okay um, uh, and i lived off campus so i used to commute from brooklyn to at every day Uh, mm-hmm. so it it took a couple of months to get used to it um but in the end it was just about uh prioritizing and making sure um, the work is done at the end of the day and what i mean by that actually is that uh, the law schools in the us they have um homework uh, for every class um it, they use this method called the socratic method of teaching where mm-hmm. um, you get called on to answer questions in class so the professors will assign a reading for each class so for example chapters 1 uh, pages 1 to 20 for tomorrow so you have to read through that read through the assignments uh, for that and prepare uh, and and the, the the professor will call on you and ask so what was the case law for this case um what was the what was the ratio um and you have to really think about the judgments and what they mean then you know get ready to be quizzed so that was the priority was that the readings 
needed to be done for every class you needed to be prepared for every class uh, it took a get used to i think it took me a month or so to get used to that um but but you learn it as you go um uh, and and the first few grades i got were not great uh, but they helped me uh, uh, get down to uh, a normal person's pedestal and uh, start really putting in the effort because um, I, it, it's the first time i was very academically challenged in that way that you needed to be on top of the uh, game you need to be prepared all the time uh, you couldn't get a bad grade in one and then decide that you were not you know going to get better so if you got a bad grade take it um, and then make sure you prepare even harder because uh, it's, it's it's not a good feeling when you're spending uh, 50000 US dollars and ended up getting a bad grade. Yeah. Now what all career opportunities are available in the United States after an LLM? Now we wish to divide this question into two parts. One, an LLM from an Ivy League college. Second, an LLM from any of the other top colleges. Hmm. Well, in terms of Ivy League, I don't actually have much experience. Um, um I I suppose if you go to Columbia Harvard, it would give you an edge because you know it seems that career opportunities are easier or more readily available. Mm-hmm. But the same is true for any of the the colleges in the top twenty uh, or in any of the main cities. Um, I I found that while NYU was not an Ivy League college, its location made it very lucrative, and that was something I benefited a lot from. Is that it's in the middle of New York City, and so i was exposed to a lot of people in my classes uh, to other networking events who were um who i could interact with and learn from about the job market um i don't think the opportunities are substantially different although colleges like harvard and columbia do have more resources uh, about pushing um or uh, more resources available for their llm candidates um it also like like i said it depends on which ivy college as well um harvard columbia for sure will have better opportunities but so will so will most of the top 10 us law schools uh so the answer to your twofold question is that Uh, some difference ivy leagues will have better opportunities in some cases um the colleges that are better situated such as nyu um georgetown which is in the middle of washington dc will also have better opportunities um, than colleges that are situated a little remotely um, uh, in the us now a lot of people take loans to do the llm Is it a good thing to do considering the immigration policies and high costs of the LLM? Mm, I think it's a very personal decision. Uh, for me, I was waiting for a scholarship when I applied, uh, when I was accepted to NYU. The scholarship ultimately did not come through. So I had to make the decision if I wanted to go ahead and do my LLM with a loan um, or, or, you know, wait for another time. for me personally at that time the decision was to just go ahead and figure out figure it out i had a loan for the full amount of my 
um, cost. So that was daunting. Uh, but me, the decision at that time made a lot of sense. I wanted to work um, in the US. I wanted to um, find something here. Uh, so taking a loan uh, and making that choice at that time made a lot of sense. Um, but this is a very personal decision. Uh, it also means reckoning that if you don't get a job in the US, you do have to come back to India and or go somewhere else in the world and find a job that may not pay as much, but you are holding the loan and you have to make that decision that you have to pay back that loan. So either by working in the US, by working yeah. Um, or anywhere else for that matter. So it's it's very personal. If you if that is a trade-off that you can make at that point, I would say it is worth it. If if you would rather wait a couple more years, get more experience, which helps you um, makes you, you know, a little more eligible for other scholarships, um, mm-hmm. that decision also makes sense. Um, or you can save up for a few years, then apply for an LLM. So you can tap into your savings so you don't have to take a loan for as many, as much of an amount. Um, that is also an option. Um, immigration policy less have remained the same. Um, I, I don't know how, I don't know if immigration policies, unless they change drastically, uh, will make this decision different in the next couple of years. Basically, when you come to do, uh, and this is about the US only, Uh, when you do an LLM, you have something called an OPT, which allows you to work in the US for one year um, Mm -hmm. before you apply for another visa. Uh, And invariably, the other visa that someone can apply for you is the H1. And because you have the OPT only for one year, you only get one chance at the H1B, which is a lottery. Um, And that is the, the risk that one needs to be willing to take is that you have one year after your LLM to either work in the US or uh, choose an opportunity closer in India. Mm-hmm. Uh, if that is something that that fits your long-term, short-term goals, um, and I, I recognize this is a very privileged ask as well, is that uh, my, my parents were more than happy to co-sign my loan, although I am the one who took the loan. They were in a position that they could co-sign it to enable me to take the loan. And that is not a position a lot of other people are in. So I recognize that this, my, my answer reflects a lot of that survivorship bias. Um, mm-hmm. so that's what I mean when I say it's a very personal decision. Now, how did you get a job with the World Bank and what is your current role? So uh, with the World Bank, uh, NYU has uh, uh, different universities have different tie-ups uh, so to say with different organizations and companies. So one of the fellow, there is a fellowship program at NYU that allows you to work with an international organization after graduation. Um, so this was a fellowship program that I applied to and I was shortlisted and I applied to the UN, uh, World Bank, uh, and, uh, yeah, um, and the IFC, the international. Did you apply to any law firms in the US? 
uh, I did apply to a couple of law firms, and NYU has another program like it's almost like a career fair, um, mm-hmm. uh, through which you can apply to law firms. So I uh, interviewed for a couple of law firms, um, uh, in the Jan in in the spring of my uh, LLM year, um, mm-hmm. but I applied for fellowships uh, with the international organizations in the fall, right after I um, was at NYU. NYU offers that. The program for the fellowships with international organizations starts earlier. The application mm-hmm. process. So I had applied for to these international organizations and I was shortlisted for an interview. Um, and then I ended up doing this three-month fellowship with the World Bank. When I was at the end of the fellowship, there was an opportunity to apply for a, a shorter uh, consultant position. Um, and I applied for that and I worked on that for a couple of years. And then now I work as an extended term. Uh, consulting, which is a, uh, basically a, an associate council level position, um, and my current role is twofold. I work on policies of the World Bank um, and working to harmonize them with public international law in general. And my second role is to work more as a transactions lawyer. So I work with um, uh, individual countries and the transactions we do with those countries to give them loans and grants. So I work on countries like Georgia in Eastern Europe, um, South Sudan, Ethiopia, and uh, I advise on a bunch of other uh, countries that we work with. But I also work on policies, um, internal policies of the World Bank, um, and structure, helping structure programs uh, such as a recent uh, COVID-19 um, so twofold role that's both policy but also transactions that's very interesting now you have a working knowledge of french how important is knowing a foreign language for getting a job in the united states um not very honestly uh, as long as you have a good knowledge of english uh, that's fine um, and even with english uh, let me bring it up one of the the courses that benefited me a lot at NYU was on writing uh, legal English because after I came here, I realized that I, I my writing style was very, collo- not colloquial. It was, when we write in India, we write in big sentences, long paragraphs, um, mm-hmm. legal uh, terms. And that was something I had to rework, relearn because now I write more simply more factually uh, and you know following something that we learn of in law school in India but never truly implement the IRAC the issue rule application conclusion rule right mm-hmm. that is something that is more needed than a knowledge of any a second language a second language always helps but not as much as being very clear and precise in your writing um, and, and as, as something that I think we need to remember as, as Indian students applying elsewhere is that you you don't speak just one language. You're already speaking multiple languages. You're already bilingual. So we mm-hmm. also in our heads need to get rid of this idea that speaking French or Spanish makes us bilingual or multilingual. We're already bilingual or multilingual, most of us. Mm-hmm. So you need to emphasize that when you apply anywhere else. Okay. Yeah, yeah, because it's the bilingual or the multilingual nature of uh, understanding things that is more important than 
just knowing you know the so called important languages if you're working with spanish speaking countries if you're going to work with french speaking countries then yes that is required knowledge but otherwise or if you're going to work with spanish clients yes definitely learn spanish but if multilingualism is supposed to signal something about learning concepts and knowing how to analyze then we are already multilingual most of us how many languages do you speak ashik uh, i speak four you you speak more languages than most people applying anywhere <laughs> okay you also have a working knowledge of javascript c++ visual basic and machine level learning what is the importance of knowing to code in the legal industry um well i i see you have read my cv very in in much detail so uh, this is the remnants from when i was you know preparing for engineering and in grade 11 and 12 i took up computer science um, um my high school or junior college offered that as a subject and that was something i really loved and i was good at and something i kept uh, myself a little bit updated on um and i realized that now i work with a lot of data um and mm-hmm. i work with economists and i work with people who work in data and understanding how to structure and use data helps me work closely with clients um mm-hmm. when i was uh, when i work with tech related subjects like cryptocurrency uh, it helps that a lawyer knows just the basics of how the technology works and and this is true of any other area right so right now i advise clients on telecommunications or um, transactions related to groundwater or something so i always make sure i have some time to understand the technical aspects of their uh, areas of expertise because how can i advise on a transaction involving uh, building roads or building schools if i if i don't know what the technical aspect means so in terms of that as long knowing to code and knowing how to work with data and knowing the basics of algorithm uh, i think that's key because it's it's something that we see everywhere um whichever field you end up working with you will invariably see these issues so it helps to understand because you can work with your technical partners more closely that's very interesting Now with this we come to the last question of the interview. How do you remember ILS? Very very fondly. Um apart from the exam season uh, or rather the results <laughs> it was never a happy time but I think like I said ILS is the first time I was exposed to students from all parts of India. Um, my friends at ILS were are from the northeast the south everywhere right like you meet people from every part of india and that's the most enriching part of your ex- uh, experience at ils um so that's what i remember most fondly is is the memories and meeting all of these super smart super intelligent people from different backgrounds um and relearning things um, coming into ils when only 18 i was only 18 i was 18 year old ignorant relatively ignorant person um and ex- getting exposed to these different subjects critical thinking learning about people who come from such different experiences and backgrounds than you um 
is is quite an eye opener so that is how i remember ils that's a wonderful answer thank you thank you so much for agreeing for this interview i hope you stay safe and have a great time ahead thank you so much this was very very interesting and i i must appreciate um, the depth of the questions that you have come up with this is very extensive and elaborate and good luck with all of these initiatives i i i love to see uh, students doing all sorts of creative things the podcast is right up there at the top <laughs>